Social Security is going to go bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare is going to go bankrupt in eight. So the way we deal with it is we don't touch anyone's retirement or anyone who's been promised in, but we go to people like my kids in their 20s when they're coming into the system and we say the rules have changed. We change retirement age to reflect life expectancy. Instead of cost of living increases, we do it based on inflation. We limit the benefits the on the wealthy and we expand Medicare Advantage plans. That's former U.N. Ambassador and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. She's one of the few presidential candidates talking about health care. And that's our topic of conversation today on Pulse Check on the Candidates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pulse Check on the Candidates, a special series from the Flatlining Podcast and Fulcrum Strategies, where we're taking a look at the healthcare policy of the presidential candidates. I'm Matthew Handley. You may have noticed that it's been a little while since we've done one of these, and that's in part because we were waiting for the field to uh, narrow down a little bit. Our previous episodes were on the niche Republican and Democratic presidential candidates, Perry Johnson and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., now, of course, uh, Perry Johnson has not really done much for his presidential campaign that we've seen in a while, especially since he was removed from the first debate stage. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has switched to an independent presidential bid. But on the Republican side, there are a few candidates that still remain trying to challenge former President Donald Trump. And one of them is Donald Trump's former U.N. ambassador and the former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. She is one of the few candidates who in the previous debates has talked about health care. And Ron and I had a discussion about that this week for this podcast. A couple of things we're going to talk about today that she has proposed on the debate stage and in previous interviews is raising the retirement age to above 65 in a way to save Social Security and Medicare. Additionally, she's talked about expanding Medicare Advantage plans and removing certificate of need laws. On that first topic, here's a particularly frustrating interview we found that she did with the Today Show. A decade ago, you supported significantly scaling back Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Should those social safety nets be scaled back? Should we reform those entitlements? Yes. But should we take anything from people who've already been promised? No. When you say reform, what do you mean? You go and everybody that's been promised money, they get it. We don't take it from anybody. But these new ones coming in, they know what's going to be broke by the time they get there. Those are the ones we fix. The younger generation, we go and we do a new system on how they're going to get it. So you would phase out Social Security and not Medicare and, and Medicaid as we know it. As we know it now, you would phase it out. You'd change it. You're not phasing it out. Oh, it seems like you're semantics not, if you're saying that You are saying change it out. So you want to reform it. I want to reform okay. it. Now, this is something that Ron and I have talked about before and other economists have talked about before. It's a touchy issue, uh, and it seems that she tries to take a scalpel to it to differentiate the idea that we're going to be raising the retirement age for everyone immediately, but rather trying to divvy it out to say that younger people are the ones that are going to be effective, the ones that are furthest from the retirement age right now. There are some opinion pieces out there in the New York Times that were published earlier this week uh, saying that this problem is blown out of proportion and that this idea is really going to hurt everyone uh, who is eventually going to retire, which, as we know, will 
be everyone at some point in their lives. We'll have that linked in the show notes for this program. Additionally, she's talked about expanding Medicare Advantage. And Ron and I talked about that this week and what that actually means and what that looks like for seniors. There's a study that came out recently that looked at um, people under Medicare Advantage plans, and they specifically looked at people with certain chronic conditions and then looked at the cost of those individuals under Medicare Advantage plans compared to those that are under straight fee-for-service. And, and basically, there was a fairly significant cost differential. And so the sort of the conclusion to that is, well, Medicare Advantage through, you know, whatever purposes or forms, Medicare, you know, um, utilization management, et cetera, um, is a lower cost option. And so they then extrapolate and say, well, gosh, if we had more people under Medicare Advantage, that would be a lower cost option to the government. And that would extend the, the life of the Medicare program. Um, so that's sort of a Nikki's springboarding out and saying we have this data that shows that we spend less money when somebody's under a Medicare Advantage plan. Why don't we put more people under it? And the logic is not flawed. Um, I think there is, you know, the data is fairly conclusive that yes, there is less expense when somebody's under a Medicare Advantage plan than when they're under Medicare fee-for-service. Now, to me, though, <clears throat> that's just answering one part of the puzzle. Um, would it save money? Would it extend the life of the Medicare um, program? More than likely it would, absolutely. But then the bigger question is, how is it saving money? And what's going to happen, sort of the unintended consequences when you put people more people under Medicare Advantage? Because, you know, one person's expense is another person's revenue. And we really need to know sort of more details about how are they saving money? Why are they saving money? Um, some of the questions that that come to my mind are, you know, are they saving money because they're inappropriately denying care to seniors? United Healthcare, for example, is currently under a class action lawsuit because of that. Are they saving money or does it look like they're saving money because they're submitting fraudulent data to the federal government? Cigna is under, uh, just paid a $172 million fine for doing that very thing. Um, are they saving money because they're paying providers less than Medicare rates? Um, and I think probably some of all of those things are true, along with they're probably saving money because they are doing a better at, better job of utilization management. But I don't think it's just as simple as saying, well, this will solve the problem. It might reduce the cost and extend the life of the program, but it might create other problems. Right. And that makes that makes sense. I was just about to bring up the, some of those things you just talked about, the class action lawsuits against United Healthcare and, and Cygnus fine. Another thought, too, is that, you know, Medicare Advantage is not free, although a lot of plans I know have uh, some have zero dollar uh, co-pays or deductibles and some have zero dollar premiums. But as we know, nothing is ever free in this world. That money is still coming from um, the federal government in some way, you know, that the federal government's still paying out for these claims just to the to the insurance companies as well. So when we have it, if we were to have a significant expansion of Medicare Advantage, um, which I'm not entirely sure what a significant expansion looks like, given the amount of TV ads I see during the open enrollment, you know, what does that do for, you know, actual reimbursement for physicians um, and, and how much money the federal government is paying out for these claims, even if they're being managed by someone else? Well, and, and, and that probably to me is one of the bigger questions is, is the Medicare program 
because of its low reimbursement, because it continues to cut reimbursement. Um, if you add to that, and I was speaking to a, a physician group today that they were looking at a Medicare Advantage plan and they said, yeah, but we also have to calculate in what percentage of these claims that they deny. You know, there's one thing to look at the fee schedule. It's a whole different thing to look at the actual number of claims we get paid for or the extra cost that is imposed upon us because of all the hoops we've got to jump through with that plan. That because of all of those things, Medicare is starting to become for physicians a product that they don't want to or, or a payer that they don't want to sell to. And I think we're dangerously close to having large swaths of physicians say, look, I'm just not doing it anymore at that cost or at that reimbursement, it's not worth it to me to provide care to those seniors. And and it, this isn't my, I, I'd love to take credit for being smart enough to have this, but I wasn't. I heard somebody else say this and they said, you know, we're in danger of having a Medicare card, whether it be an MA plan or a standard Medicare card, being about as valuable as a gift certificate to a blockbuster. You know, it doesn't do you any good if nobody's going to take it. Um, and that to me is the bigger issue. Um, Advancing more and more Medicare Advantage, if that's part of the problem, just makes that thing happen faster. Yeah, and you can think about, too, about how effective those uh, bright health cards are now. You know, with the fact that when private equity got involved there, they got the wrong mix of patients and went out of business pretty quickly. Um, so it's not it's I'm sure it's a little bit more um, it's a little bit easier for some of these larger companies, the Aetna's United Cigna's of the world. Well, of course, Cigna's possibly getting out of Medicare Advantage. But for some of these larger companies, it's easier than someone starting up a new one. Um, and, and I have yet to see what her thoughts are on big insurance. I want to say I heard her in a debate say that their insurance is some of the big insurance companies are too big. Uh, but I don't think she elaborated further on that. Uh, another thing that she has talked about both in the debates and in a CNN town hall earlier this year was her proposal to get rid of certificate of need. And we've talked about that on this program before because North Carolina is uh, is on the cusp of getting rid of it in the next few years. And so just as a refresher run, let's talk about what certificate of need is and why it is currently there. So certificate of need and in, in some states have what's called a CON law, which is there are certain things you can't build or you can't in the healthcare field unless you can prove there's a need for it. And so it creates a barrier to market entry. Now, as an economist, I don't like barriers to market entry. They make for inefficient markets. Um, and basically at things like hospitals or ambulatory surgery centers or MRI machines, you have to show there's need. Um, and like I said, it just creates this barrier for market entry. And they were put there for a number of reasons. And, and what it's turned into is protection for especially rural hospitals, but protections for facilities or people that already have that CON. And there's a lot of data that shows that states that have a certificate of need have higher prices or higher cost for those services. Again, as an economist, that's one of those duh moments. Of course, you create a barrier to market entry that increases cost. We don't like that. Um, and that was really sort of Nikki's um, premise is to say, well, then we should get rid of them. That will create competition in healthcare where it doesn't exist. She's right. And it will lower the cost of those products. She's also right on that. Now, again, like everything else, that tells part of the story. What it doesn't really examine is, okay, if we have pure, perfect competition in everything, 
then what you get is some unintended consequences. And that may be okay in other markets, okay? Um, it may be okay to say, well, you know, not every rural community has a Starbucks because there really isn't enough profit there and enough, you know, expensive coffee drinkers to support it. So Starbucks doesn't put a facility there. That's okay. We understand that. But we don't feel that way about healthcare. We feel like every county should have a hospital, that certain things should be available in your local community. You shouldn't have to drive for them. Well, if you get into perfect competition and would get rid of all the CONs, there will be damage done to some of the entities that it currently protects, largely rural hospitals, um, because a lot of these rural hospitals live on the profit they get from things like outpatient surgery or outpatient MRIs, et cetera. If you start to remove those and you only leave the things where they don't make money, emergency room visits, inpatient care, et cetera, those hospitals might go under. And so it's really a question about, well, if you want perfect competition, that's fine. You're going to get lower costs, but you're also going to get some negative side effects. Like, you know, in addition to not having a Starbucks in your rural community, you're not going to have a hospital um, because it's not going to be able to support itself. And if we're okay with those things, great. But if we're not, then you've got to be careful about what you ask for. You know, you just might get it. And I think in, when we talk about, for example, North Carolina, what they've done mm -hmm. in, in eliminating their certificate of need is they eliminated in, in areas that had a that were over a certain population count, right? Uh, protecting some of those rural areas. Well, they did a couple of things, and actually, you know, and, and I, I hesitate sometimes to give too much, you know, um, credit or or praise to any legislative body, but but where it's due, it's due. I think the North Carolina legislature and governor did a very smart thing in the way they got rid of the CON here. First of all, they did it in advance. So for MRIs and, and ambulatory surgery centers, which were the things they got rid of, um, they did it two and three years in advance. That gives the existing facility some time to plan for it. Okay, I'm going to lose this. You know, how do I make up for it? How do I cut my cost, et cetera? Smart. They also protected rural counties and said they don't go away in rural counties also smart because those are the counties where they would have a hard time if they lost that, um, you know, that protection. And the final thing is they only did it on ambulatory surgery centers and, um, and MRIs. They didn't do it on inpatient beds. Um, they didn't want to create these specialty driven hospitals that will siphon off um, sort of the good paying care, if you will. And we've seen that in other states with cardiac hospitals or specialty orthopedic hospitals, et cetera. So, you know, they tried to strike a nice balance. We're going to get rid of it in the in the high population areas where we need costs to go down. We need more competition, but we're going to protect the rural areas and we're not going to get rid of it for inpatient hospital beds. And I thought that was a really, you know, well thought out um, balancing act. Mm -hmm. And if you take a look at, uh, you know, another state that has eliminated a lot of certificate of need, like Florida, you've got the the what happens when you allow it everywhere and you've got we've joked before about uh, imaging centers in every strip mall in florida um and that in a sense drives down costs but then you're leading into that quality question of are you now having low low cost low quality health care with high access we are doing a flashback to our healthcare equation from a little over a year ago you know you're gonna have low cost perhaps low quality but high access um, and, and, and that's something that we need to work on protecting. So we still keep that, that high quality there as well. 
Yeah, and, and, and the other thing you worry about when you get an oversupply of something, and one could argue that a state like Florida has an oversupply of things like MRIs, okay, because they're everywhere, is do you get induced utilization that's not necessary? Um, you know, it, it's an expensive piece of equipment if it's not being utilized. And it's pretty much, the um, George Carlin used to do this old bit about how whenever he bought a bigger house, he suddenly had more stuff. And then he said his stuff just expanded to whatever size of, of house he had. Well, to some degree, that same thing happens with utilization. It's amazing how the number of MRIs that are needed somehow fits the number of MRI machines that are available. You know, so that's the other concern you have is do you have a, a low quality, but do you also induce unnecessary utilization? Uh, finally, Ron, I got a little bit of a political question for you. I have yet to hear any of the other candidates from the current frontrunner, uh, former President Donald Trump, to uh, anyone else, even at the bottom of the scale, actually talking about healthcare issues in the way that Nikki Haley is. Um, what do you think about her actually focusing on uh, things like expanding Medicare Advantage or getting rid of Certificate of Need laws? Well, I, I was incredibly encouraged by it. I mean, uh, and, you know, I'm not throwing shade against Nikki Haley for not getting deep into what means what it means on these other. She can't. You know, you're on the campaign trail. You're being asked about eight million different things. So uh, I think you're right. She has been more substantive on some of her ideas, including things like raising the retirement age for Social Security, et cetera. Um, you can agree or disagree with the policy position. But gosh, it's nice to see somebody who has a policy position. Um, and, and I think that's a real um, a real negative for the other candidates because I haven't seen as much substantive policy stuff coming out of them. Now, it's interesting. And I just today read that there was some, and I didn't read the full article, something about, you know, Trump made some comment that he is seriously looking at alternatives to uh, the Affordable Care Act. And it, and it just made me think of, wow, okay, wait a minute, a promised health plan out of Trump. And that's not like we've heard that before. Um, I mean, we've been waiting for his health plan for, I don't know, what, eight years now, something like that. Um, but anyways, so again, I, I like the fact that Nikki's talking about these things. I would love to see it in, turn into a broader discussion about what it means to have more Medicare Advantage, what it means to have a, a, an elimination of CON. Um, those are the discussions we need to have. And I, I was thrilled to see she's starting to go down that road. Well, and it might even mean that if she's if she ends up being elected, that we'll actually have someone leading uh, the Department of Health and Human Services that has some idea of how healthcare actually works. And I, I say that yeah, a little I, facetiously I, against the current administration because of mostly no surprises act. But yeah, yeah no, I, I and, and the first step in any sort of a discussion or debate about a, uh, you know, a policy question is to to throw something out there. I mean, to throw a straw man out there, to throw an idea out there and let people beat it up or, or support it. So I, I, you know, I, I praise her for doing that rather than, you know, um, chide her for going, Oh, how dare you talk about CON when you don't understand what it does. No, no, let's mm -hmm. go ahead and have the discussion, Yeah, but it's got to start somewhere. And that's a great, yep. you know, thing to throw out start. Just the same thing as the, you know, the, the discussion about, and I know it isn't healthcare related, but about raising the retirement age for social sure. security. Yeah. I mean, Alan well, it Greenspan. Is, it is related to healthcare when you tie in Medicare. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Alan Greenspan, before he ended up his time at the Fed chair, one of the last things he talked about to Congress, and I mean, Alan Greenspan, this is a long time ago, was the unfunded mandates of Medicare and Social Security. 
And he said to Congress, you are going to have to do something about those things or they will eventually kill the U.S. economy. Um, And we still haven't done anything about it. So it's good to see somebody talking about both of those. As you are undoubtedly aware, Nikki Haley continues to rise in the polls, particularly in early voting states like New Hampshire and Iowa. The next GOP primary debate will be on News Nation at 8 p.m. on December 6th, and you can watch on broadcast on the East Coast on the CW. That's going to do it for this edition of Pulse Check on the Candidates. You can find more resources in the show notes or at flatlining.net. We want to hear from you. If you've got comments or questions about today's program, leave a comment on this post at flatlining.net, or you can send me a tweet. I'm at Radio Handley on X. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>